Welcome to uh, today's Business is Doing Good conference call. Today's a special call with the chairman of our board of Good Cities, Scott Myers, who also leads uh, Good Place Holdings in Akron, Ohio. We're here to discuss today a worldview filled with hope. This is Glenn Barth, and every month we do a conference call uh, in which we invite others in to interact with us over businesses doing good. And uh, the purpose of our call is to encourage uh, businesses everywhere to think carefully about their business model and then put a business model into play that improves the lives of their employees and improves the lives of people who live in the communities where they work and where they serve. Scott, talk a little bit about uh, business models with social purpose. Well, uh, thanks, Glenn. Um, certainly not a, a new idea. There is a newfound enthusiasm for it, and I would say that the uh, the motivation for this new enthusiasm sort of comes from two fronts. Uh, one, I think people have realized that the, the nonprofit and the government model of making our communities the kind of places that we want to live in uh, are not adequate. And that if the work that they, when they get up in the morning and go to work, they want the work that they do to contribute to the community being the kind of place they want to work in. And we can't all work for nonprofits and have that be functional because somebody has to have a job to pay for the nonprofit. So why can't the job that I earn my living at make our community the place we want to be? And the other front is just the the personal satisfaction. If I'm, if I'm just making money for somebody else, uh, how do I feel about myself at the end of the day? And when your work contributes to the community, it's just such a, a more satisfying experience. So there's a, there's a long history uh, going back to, uh, the medieval guilds, um, and, uh, you know, during the Industrial Revolution, there were craftspeople who gathered together to have work that mattered to them and made a difference uh, to the community. But in the last, I would say, decade, there's been a strong movement in the Christian church uh, that combines social purpose uh, and community ministry with the work that businesses do, um, it kind of started out with ministries really asking businesses to get more involved with what the ministry was doing beyond just writing checks. Uh, that was an important part everybody saw, um, but that the assets of the business, the lives of the people working in the business could accomplish as much or even more than the money they gave if they got personally involved, the business got involved in the community. And so that has grown to a point now where there are people who are starting businesses for the purpose of the business having impact in individuals' lives and in the community, and they make a profit at the business so that they can pursue their mission. So there's a really broad spectrum of people involved in this movement. Yeah, yeah, and I know in the uh, greater Cleveland area, Scott, uh, you and I talked a little bit earlier today about some of the different groups, and there are 
are, are uh, groups that are faith-based as they approach it. There are leaders who are faith-based involved in secular companies, and there are secular companies that just care about their community. And uh, we talked about evergreen cooperatives today, for instance, in, in Cleveland, and uh, the outcome uh, it, that they're really looking for is employment for the poor um, and uh, making a profit so that they're able to employ more and more folks in poor communities that surround the Cleveland Clinic and uh, and university hospitals and uh, certainly uh, Case Western Reserve University and the university circle area there. Um, and uh, Evergreen Cooperatives has really been put together as a for-profit company that uh, has a key outcome of employing people from those poor communities so that uh, there's an uplift economically uh, by the institutions that uh, that are really doing some great work in the Cleveland area. Scott, were there some others? I mean, it might be good just to point to a couple of groups. Right. Well, and we can we can look a little bit in the rearview mirror and talk about Grayston Bakeries, who oh, yeah. um, has a, a wonderful line. Uh, Grayston Bakeries bakes um, brownies that go into Ben and Jerry's uh, chocolate fudge brownie ice cream, uh, which I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> um, uh, but their motto is, we don't uh, hire people to, break, to bake brownies. We bake brownies so that we can hire people. It was, it was started by a person with the intent of, I'm going to start a business so that I can create jobs for people. And that was the line of, of work that, that they found uh, to get in. Um, we also mentioned, Glenn, earlier, uh, before the call got started, um, a friend of mine, uh, Logan Fahey, who has, uh, who's a, a younger person. He, I think he's 30. He's not very far into his 30s, but he's been involved in, um, several social purpose businesses on smaller scales and, and has been building up. And he worked with a local group in Cleveland towards employment. They hired him to begin a business for the purpose of creating jobs for the clients of Towards Employment. And so uh, Logan, working with the team, started uh, Bloom Bakery, which is a business that exists so that they can create employment for people. And they've been very successful. So as you, uh, if you have interest in pursuing any of this, you can Go to goodcities.net, go to the resource section, look under podcasts, and you'll find a whole section there where we've got uh, 15 recordings now of, of our calls with a variety of leaders who have businesses that are really seeking to provide a social benefit. And uh, the second call in that whole series was, uh, was with uh, a leader from Grayson Bakeries, Jonathan Halperin. And Jonathan says that the... Uh, the owner of that company is uh, is a Jewish man who's applying Buddhist principles of non-judgment. I was able to say to Jonathan, I, I think I know another Jewish rabbi who advocated non-judgment. It was Jesus who first said, judge not, lest judge you not. be judged. That's right. And so uh, taking a spirit of non-judgment into the workforce, and actually they, they practice a, a whole practice called open hiring, and they hire the first person who applies for a job opening. Now, Scott and I have a particular perspective, and Good Cities does as well. We come at this from a, a Christian 
perspective. When we think about all of this, Scott, uh, I'm convinced that when the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, uh, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, that, that Paul, in his deep Torah understanding of Genesis, brings us up to speed with the transformational work that God wants to do in our lives as we seek to be people who are bringing restoration to the fallen and, and broken parts of our world. And Lord knows uh, we need restoration today when we see the disintegration of the family and the brokenness we're seeing there. And when we see uh, the the many difficult parts of this world that need restoration, Paul even says at one point, the whole creation groans for the revealing of the sons and daughters of the King. And, uh, you know, why is that? Because our task through our vocation and through our families is to bring restoration and healing under the kingdom of God. Uh, Psalm 104 gives a great, and I, I won't read much, might read a phrase, gives a great image of God's presence in the world. You know, mm-hmm. God didn't create a, a deist kind of universe where he created and walked away and just left it run on its own. Uh, Paul, I think, in Colossians says he sustains the world by his powerful word. So God is intimately involved in the continuing existence. In fact, the, the sense of that verse, as I understand it, is if God removed his word from the world, we just collapse into nothingness. So uh, mm. our, our existence is our, our moment-by-moment existence is sustained because God's word still is calling us into existence, just as it did in the first chapters of Genesis. In Psalm 104, you see God being involved in, he makes grass grows for the cattle, he makes, um, he waters the earth, and it sort of concludes, uh, towards the end in the conclusion, it says, may the Lord rejoice in his works, which is, you know, physical creation. So n- nothing we do should be detrimental to God's work in, that he's established in physical creation. We should be partners with God in stewarding, tending it. And as anybody who um, runs a business knows, you don't run the business so much as it runs you. When, once you take that role of responsibility that you will take this stewardship role over this business, all of a sudden you've got a harder job than everybody else because you have to make sure the whole thing goes well. And if we are given that role in creation of of ruling over and subduing it, that means we have not privileges as much as we have responsibilities to take care of it. And Psalm 104 shows a great um, picture of God caring for the earth and setting our example. One of the books that I've been reading lately is N.T. Wright's wonderful book called Paul, A Biography. And about 104, 105 pages into it, Wright, uh, N.T. Wright uh, pens these words. I assume for many years... And many readers will still assume that the only real point of it all was to get people to believe in Jesus so they would be saved and go to heaven when they died. But this was not the concern that drove Paul and Barnabas on their mission. 
and and uh, Wright then says, I have labored this point elsewhere, but it still needs saying as we watch Paul set off on his complex crisscrossing travels, the early Christians did not focus much attention on the question. They were much more concerned with the kingdom of God, which was something that was happening and would ultimately happen completely on earth as in heaven. What mattered was the ultimate restoration of the whole creation with God's people being raised from the dead to take their place in the running of this new world. Whatever happened to people immediately after death by comparison, unimportant, a mere interim, and however much it might seem incredible, the early Jesus followers really did believe that God's kingdom was not simply a future reality, though obviously it had a strong still future dimension. God's kingdom had already been launched through the events of Jesus' life. Unless we get this firmly in our heads, we'll never understand the inner dynamic of Paul's mission. So, Scott, if, if we really want to understand what, uh, what business and vocation is really about, what having healthy families is all about, what having a, a restored world is about, it's all about our focus on restoration. And so our involvement in business necessarily involves us in people's lives and in the restoration of their families and of the of the communities where our businesses have impact. You know, and the amazing thing is, if you make that the aim of your business to achieve those outcomes, those kind of ends, that kind of effect in the world, you can find work to do that accomplishes that, that generates a profit, that supports your living in the world. And, and so you get to do all of that every day. Uh, one of the m- mindsets that we end up inheriting is I have to go to work. I have to earn a living. Uh, the place to go to work is a business. The business has to make money. And so that's just what you got to do as if that's all value neutral towards mm-hmm. this um, bringing the kingdom into the world that you're talking about when I'm my firm conviction and belief is that the work that we do do is God's gift to us so that we can bring God's kingdom more fully into the world. And as you do that, as you engage in that work that generates uh, a profit over your expenses based on the work you put into it, that, uh, funds your living in the world and that if everyone if we all had that mindset we wouldn't need mm. uh certainly not as many nonprofit ministries maybe none uh and just people would get paid to do the work that makes our communities good places to live but since there's this mindset of work can't have that outcome work can only be for this purpose of generating uh, as much profit as much uh return on investment as possible. That's what you have to do at work. And then when you collect a big enough pile and you feel safe and comfortable, you can start making donations to people who they go out to make the world a good place. So that that bifurcated uh, mindset, I think, is is the cause of a lot of uh, uh, woe in the world. 
Now, even Christians can, uh, and especially Christians, sometimes fall into this where, uh, you know, I, I I talked to someone who was interested in doing a church and private or a church and public school partnership in one of the cities that we were working with. And, uh, and the woman told me, you know, um, I really want to do this work. And I said, well, tell me about some of your reasoning behind it. Are you really hoping to achieve, you know, help the kids achieve some new uh, educational achievements that they couldn't have done otherwise, except that some folks are walking alongside them and maybe opening up opportunities for their future economically in terms of jobs and college education. And, and, uh, the woman turned to me and she said, no, darling, that's, that has nothing to do with it. What I'm really interested in is that they, their souls are saved so that they'll spend eternity with Jesus. I don't really care how they do in school. At that point, I had to tell another local leader, this person cannot lead this. We've got to have people who really understand that uh, whenever Jesus met a person, he dealt with their real or felt need in their life, and it wasn't always to tell them that they would have eternal life. Often it was to heal them of a disease, to cast out a demon, uh, or to unleash their potential in some other kingdom capacity. But it never, it never was merely to promise them uh, eternal life. It was, uh, it was to say, go and sin no more, which is part of restoring and having a redemptive mentality. And this this time of year, Scott, um, many many people will be singing the the uh, song "Joy to the World," and I I lament the fact that uh, the third verse that Isaac Watts uh, wrote is often left out by many churches, and mm. and that one says, "No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found." You know, there's a real sense in which Isaac Watts, as a hymn writer, and and the the reformers of his time, understood that a lot of our work that Jesus sets us on is to reverse the curse, and uh, and really begin to unleash people into their full potential that that the Word of God spoke into human beings right at the very start of all creation. You know, I I think a good perspective on this is when the rich young ruler uh, came to see Jesus and he asked his well-known question, a teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And we're, we're very familiar with the first half of Jesus' response, which is, why do you call me? Why do you ask about what's good? There's no one who's good, and that fits our understanding of um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we're saved by grace. It's nothing that we have good in ourselves. And then, and then Jesus says, if you want to enter life. So the, the question that, that this young man asked Jesus was, after I die, I want to go on to the good place. How, how do I get that? And, and Jesus did exactly what, what you're, we're describing here, Glenn. He changed his perspective from, you know, a future after I die. She's saying right now you can you can start living this life that God has for you right now right here. Would you like to enter life now? Uh, and uh, we have this uh, you know dynamic in our mind that 
uh, is that uh, woman you were describing who said she wanted to make sure that, that the kids would go to heaven after they die. Jesus wants us to, as he taught us to pray, he wants us to bring heaven to earth. Mm-hmm. There's a life that God, there's a life that God wants for us, and he doesn't want it for us only after we, we die. He wants us to have that life now. And so, uh, when we, when we come to the Father through Christ and accept Jesus' completed work on the cross as the propitiation <laughs> for our sin, that that's, that's adequate. In fact, it's the only thing that's effective for that. The benefit of that is we get to start living that life in relationship with the Father now through the power of the Holy Spirit. We get to live that in, in this world now and be those agents of the kingdom wherever we go. Then we get into Ephesians 2.10, which is often left off of the citation that we're saved for the good works that God has prepared in advance for us. And I think the good works that God prepared in advance for us, he prepared all the way back in those first three chapters of Genesis. That's the work that Mm. God prepared for us. Sin took us off that track. Christ's work on the cross enables us to get back on that track, which happens here and now. Michael Hammer's book title says, Heaven is a place on earth. We're supposed to live that heavenly life here. And to the extent that we opt out of that, because the only thing that we think is important is that initial transaction of, you know, getting saved, getting your sins forgiven, and now the box is checked and you're done. You know, that happens so that we get to live the life that God has for us now. And applying to business, we can live that every day when we go to work for those purposes that God has so that his will done on earth, his kingdom is here, just like it is in heaven. This has all kinds of implications, but I think one of the things that we have to reclaim is the notion that the good news that Jesus brought is not some two-dimensional series of laws or rules, but instead... It's meant to be a dynamic life. And so we you know, yeah. we say at Good Cities that the good news of Jesus is dynamic. The gospel is dy- is a dynamic message that uh, is is more than just pie in the sky by and by. It's, a, it's about a restoration of people, a restoration of families, restoration of a sense of what it means to do good work in our workplace. And so we need to lean into what it really means to uh, live God's calling out at home, at work, and in places we serve so that the groaning of the creation becomes quieter as Christians really, as Christians, as all people begin to adjust to this newfound uh, kingdom that Jesus proclaimed during his lifetime. And, and if we can see that the reign of God for the peace and prosperity of our communities become more and more, then, uh, then that groaning turns into, to singing, uh, and, and singing songs of joy, just as we experience when we go to worship around this time of the year during these holidays when we celebrate the birth of uh, of uh, the word becoming flesh, of Jesus becoming a, a human being and living among us so that we might really see and know what it means 
to live this kingdom-focused lifestyle. Uh, and when we live that kingdom-focused lifestyle, then when we do, in words, describe the gospel, it, it makes so much more sense to people than when all they hear mm-hmm. is the words. Glenn, we've gotten so theological today. Well, you know, that's who I am. <laughs> I mean, at Root, I, I interview a lot of other people, and I talk to a lot of them about about what they believe and what they think. But but at Root, if you ask me a few questions, it won't take you long to realize that I have a Master's of Divinity from Gordon-Conwell, and I have a, a Doctor of Ministry from Bakke Graduate, uh, Graduate University in Transformational Leadership for the Global City. And... Uh, and that's what I live for every day, is that uh, I want every person in every vocational calling of life to to come fully alive in that calling, and to uh, and to live it out in such a way that the whole world is being restored through the good work that they're doing. And what I think is so cool about the business doing good calls that that uh, you have going through good cities is we see. You know, we see that in the flesh. We see the incarnation of the idea that the work that we do can be that kingdom life that brings that restoration to the world. And, you know, over the maybe a couple of years now, it's been Glenn of, of interviewing mm-hmm. people. You've, you've talked with dozens of people who do this every day when they go to work. Not that everyone has to own businesses and run them the way that these people do, but it's, it's, uh, it's a great inspiration for me. And, uh, I'm sure it is for, uh, everyone who hears the call or who finds the recorded calls on the website that, uh, this theology, which can sound, um, so ethereal and disconnected is, is, has very, very practical applications that people are living out, even if they can't Explain it the way that you have, Glenn. Well, we promise that uh, in the new year we'll have exciting calls the third Thursday of every month. That uh, If you want to be invited or call into it, uh, you certainly can do so. Just email me at glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at goodcities.net, or visit our website if you'd like to hear a recording of any of these calls. You can download it as a podcast and, uh, and listen to it any time at your convenience. And uh, I think you'll find inspirational stories because we're always looking for these models. And ultimately, we would love those of you who listen into these calls to come to the place where you might start a small group in your city or community. You can call it Faith at Work, or you can just a community of practice where you begin to get people together who put at the core of their business model, their for-profit business model, benefiting their local community, Um, not just a and I think it's good to create a, a foundation if you're a profitable company and give money away. But uh, but really, the hard work and the good work is really done when we value people, just as uh, as people made in God's image. They're someone else's daughter or son. Treat them as though they're your daughter or son when they're at work and help them become the kind of uh, people that uh, are also bringing restoration to uh, the workplace, to their families, and to the world been a good call, Scott. Thank you so much for joining me in it. And uh, we hope those of you who listened in today can join us next time on Businesses Doing Good. That next call will be the third Thursday in January 
at uh, 10 a.m. Central Time, 11 a.m. Eastern. We look forward to being with you. Have a great day. That's That's 2019.